Hi, everyone. I want to take a moment and talk about the sober curious, non-alcoholic beverage alternative movement or revolution that is becoming more and more seen in the mainstream. Although the idea of dry January or sober curious isn't new, it's been around since 2012. These days, there's more awareness around the dangers of drinking and folks wanting an alternative to alcohol, to the point where the alcohol industry is taking notice. Based on a report by Nielsen, between August 2021 and August 2022, total sales of non-alcoholic drinks in the U.S. was $395 million. In 2024, it is predicted that an increase in NA beverages such as beer, wine, and spirits without alcohol will be up by 24%. Even celebrities are joining this trend, such as Blake Lively and Katy Perry, who are creating non-alcoholic beverages of their own. Why is this happening now? Well, in the next three episodes, you will hear some personal stories why drinking behaviors are changing. I'll be interviewing people who question their relationship with alcohol and how this process impacted their lives. Take a listen. Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday. Focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 39. For most of her adult life, my next guest, Don Connolly, was the ultimate party animal. But slowly, she'd become bored of endless partying, sleepless nights, extreme emotions, two-day hangovers, toxic relationships, living in a fog, and generally being miserable. During the summer of 2016, Don decided to conduct a personal experiment to spend the entire year of 2017 free from alcohol and cigarettes and blog about her journey using social media. Don drank her last alcoholic drink on November 26, 2016. At the start, she fully intended to return to her old life in 2018. However, her life changed beyond recognition and she could see no reason for going back. Now, Don manages several online accounts, runs her own sober community, and has recently qualified as a positive psychology and alcohol-free coach, helping countless people get and stay successfully sober. For fun, Don loves traveling, and this year will include trips to Dublin and Italy. She also enjoys writing, getting together with friends, and spending time with her family. Take a listen. Well, hi, Don. Thank you for coming to my podcast. Super excited to speak with you today. You're very welcome. It's good to be here. Excellent. And you are where in the UK? I'm in Poole in Dorset, so south coast. And how far is that from London? Uh, it takes a couple of hours to get to London. So it's a really good place to live um, because you've got the beach, oh, the nice. sea, wow. but you've also got forest because it's near the New Forest. So you'd have to drive through the New Forest to get to London. Um, oh and and it's not too far from London, so it's a really perfect place to to live for a bit of everything. Right, like you want a little country and you want a little rock and roll. You could go in the city, not that far. <laughs> awesome, yeah, I love that. Well, let's get started. Tell me a little bit what your relationship was like before you stopped drinking and smoking cigarettes, which is also hard. Um, so I um six years and about three months. Nearly to the day, actually. Yesterday. Wow, congrats. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, sober. And um, my life before was pretty empty, apart from alcohol, really. It was a case of go to work, come home from work, drink, smoke. Um, not every day. I wasn't physically addicted to alcohol. Um, I was addicted to cigarettes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I would binge drink. So I would generally drink on a Friday night. Then I couldn't drink on Saturday because I was ill. Um, I generally didn't drink on Sunday because I was still ill. And then I might drink a couple of times in the week. Um, Not obviously to illness, but I wouldn't feel great. So it was kind of a roller coaster of drinking and then not feeling great, drinking, not feeling great. Um, I... I'd smoked all my adult life, but I smoked more when I was drinking. And again, binged, smoked, so couldn't face a cigarette the next day. 
Um, so I was, yeah, it was like in clumps that I would mm-hmm. smoke and drink. Um, I tried to give up smoking before. Um, it's funny with Facebook memories, quite a few times before, actually. <laughs> it's like, oh, like here, if you here ask you me go. the question, I'd say a couple of times, but actually it comes up quite a lot. Oh, <laughs> you know, another period of not smoking. <clears throat> and one of the reasons that I gave up drinking was to give up smoking. <clears throat> Um, because I tried to make it giving up smoking so many times. And the thing that always got me back into it was drinking. Mm-hmm. So I'd recognized the link between alcohol and smoking. And because I tried to do it the other way around, give up smoking and carry on drinking, that didn't work. So I thought about trying it the other way around and seeing how successful that was. Hmm. So when you were doing all of this, I mean, it sounds like you had some fun. I did have some, right? Right. I just didn't know. I just didn't know when when the fun should stop. That was part of the problem. I see. So, what gave you the notion to like maybe I need to change my behaviors here? Maybe I need something different. Um, I don't have children or mm-hmm. a partner, so nobody was ever telling me it's time to go home. Um, I didn't have anything to come home for. I don't mean mm-hmm. that in a violin situation but sure. um when when there aren't responsibilities there is no end game and so what I was finding I was staying out longer which mm-hmm. meant I was drinking longer which meant I was sicker the next day and those hangovers were starting to creep from one day into two days mm-hmm. and so when you work five days a week and you go out on a Friday and you're still feeling shit on Sunday night and you've got work the next day. It was like, where's the relaxed time? Where's the chill time? Where's mm-hmm. the do the fun stuff time? And so the price for a good night was becoming expensive in in time. Um, and this was becoming more and more regular um, as I got, I, I think it's an age thing. I think mm-hmm. in the 20s, you can recover a lot easier, but in your 40s, not so much. Mm-hmm. And the states that I was getting into, you know, upsetting people, upsetting myself, not remembering things, mm-hmm. you know, all of that kind of stuff just doesn't, it's not attractive when you're in your 40s. So mm-hmm. it was a kind of a combination of things. You know, I'm thinking something's got to change, um, but wasn't quite sure how that looks because drinking was such a massive part of my life, you know. Well, also where you live, isn't that, that country is very centric on drinking. Yeah. You know, cards and stuff that celebrate drinking, jokes about around drinking. I mean, the culture is really deep around that, yeah. both men and women. Um so when you decided what, walk me through what that was like when you actually said, this is going to happen. And then the day after when you started to start not using. Um, so I decided in the summer of 2016 and set myself a target that I wasn't going to drink for 2017. So I'd put the, put the motion in place a lot earlier than my quit date. Um, which was a bit of a, I don't know how to, how to say it really. It, it was a good thing to do because mm-hmm. there was no getting out of it, but it was a long period of time to be thinking, oh, oh yeah. time's ticking by and, and suddenly time goes, starts going really fast when you've put a time limit on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason this idea to give up for a year came into my mind was because in my newsfeed, some before and after photos of people who hadn't drunk alcohol for a year oh. randomly came into my newsfeed. I hadn't Googled anything. I hadn't thought about anything, you know, nothing. It was so bizarre that it dropped into my newsfeed. And I looked at it and because I've done dry January before, I've done, mm-hmm. I haven't done sober October because my birthday's October. So I never went uh-huh. down that route, but I've done dry Januaries. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I had to do more than 31 days. I also knew t- to give up smoking, which was really my priority that I had to do longer than that. And then when mm-hmm. I saw this um, article and people were doing a year, I was like, well, a year it is. So wow. um, I decided my quit date would be the 1st of January, 2017. 
started putting things in motion by telling friends who were like, mm. <laughs> yeah, right. Good life. Um, right. Told my family. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like this is really going to happen. Um, and what basically happened was, is um, I got a severe case of flu in the November 2016 and I couldn't smoke. I couldn't drink. I couldn't eat. I was just hallucinating. I was in a oh, terrible wow. state. Oh. And mm-hmm. um, by the time I started to feel better, which was about two weeks later, so um, I I then started thinking, so we're like mid-December. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do I go back to smoking and drinking for a couple of weeks and then quit on the 1st of January? Or do I take the couple of weeks that I've been lying in bed and just carry carry on? And to be honest, I, I didn't feel right for a long time. Um, I, I was deaf in my ears. Um, oh my I, I, yeah, I, it, it was a really bad case of flu. And so I didn't feel like smoking and drinking. So I thought I'll just start already. And the good thing about that was by the time I got to the 1st of January, I'd already got five weeks in the bag. And mm. my thought process was, well, good next year. I can drink at Christmas and new year. Cause I started early. So it was almost like I was ahead of myself. Um, so I had every intention of drinking and not smoking again, sorry, just drinking the next Christmas. And the idea was that I was going to lose loads of weight, be a non-smoker and then pick up my drinking habit and carry it on on a moderate basis. Moderate basis. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's so interesting is that you've done the dry month, right? January and that kind of thing. Um, to say a year is a really long time for someone who's like, You've done, you dabbled for a month here and there, but to say a year versus like, I'll do it for three months, you know, people stay, start small and you're like, fuck that. We're going to do a year. (laughs) That's incredible. And so when you said, sure, I'll just keep going after feeling so ill, um, when you started feeling better, how did that go in the early parts? I started thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Right. (laughs) People get panicky. Right, but you yeah, because I got because I got I got to January, and was thinking, oh God, this is dry. I've got five weeks, but now this is dry January, which I'm used to doing. Right, and then I've got another technically eleven months to go. (laughs) I was starting to think a year is a really long time. I've I've made a mistake, Mm -hmm. Um, but I also knew there was no going back. There was never anything in my head that was going to go backwards I was giving myself the year and I was pretty resolute about that how do you get resolute around that how do you do do that I guess it's accountability because I told so many people I knew I couldn't Mm. go backwards um but with hindsight now I think it's because I knew that things were going to change like Mm. to such an extent because things had already started to change at that point. You know, I found that there was a sober community and Mm. I'd started writing about my journey. And so I was getting messages from people. So the the kind of responsibility started growing. You know, I was speaking out for people who had a similar drinking problem to me, Mm. Um, you know, because people would write to me and go, oh my God, you know, everything you write is me. And I started to understand that, it was a big problem that, you know, that some people refer to it as gray area drinking. It's kind of, you're not physically addicted to alcohol, but you've got a massive problem with it and your whole life revolves around it. And it's stealing time and Mm -hmm. energy from you, but you can't see how to get out of it. So I know a lot of people are watching me going, well, we'll see how she gets on. (laughs) Let's put our bet on that. Let's see how Don does that. So you did this pretty out loud, pretty publicly. Yeah. So you started a, a blog, is that right? That's right, yeah. Wow. And are you a private person in general or? Not really. Not really, so an extrovert. So doing this publicly felt natural. Yeah, I'd, I'd written a blog before about dating, um, which wasn't, a, I mean, it didn't go very far, but people really enjoyed my writing. So I already knew there was an audience for it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm honest, I never expected it to be as big as it is. Um, I just thought there'd be a few people who'd be interested in what I had to say. I didn't anticipate so many people saying that they felt the same. 
Um, and I didn't anticipate that once it was out in public that it would mm. hit so many countries, so many different types of people. Um, you know, I've got people who follow me because of what I say about relationships or what I say about travel or what I say, you know, they're still drinking, but they're interested in other aspects of it as well. So mm. it became a bit more well-rounded than just about sobriety. So that's interesting because as you started to progress like month after month, now we're like maybe at five weeks and then there's January and, and you're moving on. So what kind of things did you learn about yourself at the beginning of this experiment? What things came to you as you look back? God, it's a long time ago now. I don't think I learned a lot in the beginning. Mm -hmm. rather than you know thinking about me there's a lot of information out there now you know I I mentor people <laughs> in uh, to get sober and I know what it takes to get sober but I didn't know anything then I didn't mm. know that I didn't love myself that my self-esteem was on the floor um that I was putting so much effort into other people and not enough into myself I didn't know all of that that kind of was found out by accident um, but I was very overweight as well. That was another reason for doing it. So initially it was about losing weight, staying mm. sober, not smoking. Um, I guess the one thing that really stood out was that I was trying to continue my life whilst being a different person. And I I kept trying to go out to things, going to pubs, going to parties, and I realized that that wasn't really working anymore so mm -hmm. I kind of understood that my whole identity was changing and my interests oh. and yeah it was it, it, it was it was quite scary because you suddenly realize that you've made yourself an outsider when you've always been quite used to being life and soul and it's mm. like okay so I don't fit there but where do I fit so there was some degree of loss with that shift, I would imagine. Like what yeah. now? Because you were so deeply ingrained in this other community, whatever you want to call that, your party community and, and that kind yeah. of thing. How did friendships shift for you in that time? Um, I guess my, my close friends are still my close friends. We yeah. just do different things. Some people go by the wayside because alcohol is the only thing that keeps you together mm -hmm. um I'm not afraid of saying no now which is something that's grown over time I just don't I don't go to the party you know at the beginning it's like you go to the party you stand there you feel really uncomfortable you think right. that's going to be your life you it's depressing because mm -hmm. you think I'm not enjoying myself whereas now I'm very much I'm not going to the party <laughs> have a lovely party <laughs> Did you have your own party? Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, I think that's really interesting. I was talking to a few folks yesterday who was kind of new in this process as, as you were historically. Like, what are the, some of the things that you had to, like, navigate through? You chose not to go to some of the old parties. What some people start out with um, is, I'll just do my life and just not do it with alcohol. And sometimes that works. And most of the time, it's more of a struggle. What are your thoughts on that for you? For me, it was a struggle. Um, it kind of made me feel more isolated being in a situation and trying to be somebody that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, actually, as I'm saying that, I think that you just mentioned the word extrovert. I've always considered myself to be an extrovert, but I actually think there's a lot of introvert in me mm -hmm. that I didn't expect like it I've always done you know when you do personality tests and things like that I've always right. come out I'm red <laughs> I'm you know I'm up in that corner I'm always you know the person that's not scared of saying anything which is true <laughs> but I think I'm a lot more introverted than I gave myself credit for and mm -hmm. actually when I started to evaluate parties it's like I would feel nervous in the afternoon. I'd think it was excitement, but actually I, I was quite nervous. Mm. I'd be worried about what I was going to wear. I'd be worried about who was going to be there, who wasn't going to be there, what was I going to say? Mm. So I'd drink. So I'd get there and I'd be drunk. And it was actually quite a relief to go, I don't have to do that. 
I don't have to feel like that in the afternoon. I don't have to drink that feeling away because I'm not going to the thing that I realized I didn't really enjoy anyway. And what I've realized I do enjoy is good conversation that I remember with people I want to talk with. And that's never, that's never changed. But when you've already gone to a party on a different level and then someone else at the party is on a different level again, it's never going to gel. Um, and, and, and the other thing that I find about people who are drinking is they never finish or listen to, to what you're trying to say. And you're it's really there. frustrating. <laughs> right? It's like, where are you right now? You mentioned kind of being an extrovert and we're talking a little bit about that. And then you actually were talking about realizing there's some more in, introvert into you when you were you know, getting ready to go. Yeah, I just, I feel that um, there was, there's an extrovert part of me, definitely. I mean, I'm not scared of walking into a room full of people, um, but there's more of an, excuse me, an introvert part of me now. Right. You just would rather be at home, you know, Mm. bit of a home body. I don't know if that's a COVID thing. As well, you know, you get oh, used to being right. on your own, own space um, and an age thing. Um, but definitely, I'm not the same person that I was with regards to social activities. Um, for example, on a Friday night when I was drinking, if no one called me, if I wasn't invited out, if there was nothing going on, I'd feel like, Oh my God, I, you know, I've got no friends. Nobody likes me. What am I going to do? What do people do on a Friday night? You know, if you don't go out. Whereas now I'm literally like, right, it's Friday night, blanket, bill, <laughs> food. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure it comes down to age rather than just sobriety. Sure. But I also believe that one of the things that you have to get used to in sobriety is yourself. <laughs> and that's a massive part of the work that I didn't anticipate this whole self-love um sitting with yourself sitting with your feelings Mm. um managing your feelings understanding that feelings are there as a warning system rather than something that you go oh that feeling's there quick drown it Mm. um and I was very very grateful in COVID that I'd done the work beforehand because it didn't phase me being on my own. Whereas mm-hmm. if I drink, if it had been drinking me, drinking me would have absolutely freaked out. I, I don't know how I would have survived COVID mm. if I was drinking. Um, because I, I, I think that's interesting. Some of the yes. I speak to are like, well, because of COVID, I stopped or I increased my intake. So it was either or on the extreme. And for you, you were grateful not to because what do you think would have happened if you were still drinking during COVID? I just think it would have been a mess. Yeah. I, I th- you know, I just think, you know, there all re- already weren't any breaks on. Mm-hmm. So then if there's no break, you know, if there's no break, right. if it's just you and, and a bottle, and I know... I know what I was like about food in COVID, you know, when they were saying, um, oh, you can only go to the supermarket once a week or whatever it was, get all the food in, you know, Mm -hmm. I put on so much weight because it was just like, get all the food in, like we're never going to eat again. I I just know I would have been like that with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So I I was so grateful that that wasn't on, on, on the, on the menu. But I also think mm-hmm. that I used food as a coping mechanism, whereas some people used alcohol. I definitely used food um, mm-hmm. as, as the comfort blanket. Sure. Um, one of the things, so when you started in 2016 with the intention of going back, right, in 2018 to return, um, that didn't happen. So tell me a little bit during that period of time when you're like, this is a forever decision as opposed to, you know, for now. I gave up smoking. So that was my mission. (laughs) Um, I lost a lot of weight, um, which was another mission. And I wasn't putting it back on. 
So then it started to go, oh, right. Okay. So if you don't celebrate weight loss with alcohol, it stays off. I met sober people. <clears throat> I was really lucky. I, um, I really engaged myself in the sober community because I was sharing my writing and things like that. So I met sober people. So I didn't feel so alone. Um, I think the work on myself had unintentionally started. So I was beginning to trust myself a bit more, care about myself. In May 2017, I was six months sober. I sadly lost a friend mm -hmm. and I decided to start walking 10,000 steps a day in her honour. It wasn't for charity or anything. I just mm -hmm. did it for myself mm -hmm. and for her. And that got me into walking. And then I started listening to podcasts, sober podcasts and books and sober books, you know, Quitlet. And so I'd kind of started, you know, that's where life had started to transform because the energy had kicked in. The weight was coming off. The weight was coming off more when I was moving. I was moving for a purpose. The purpose when I was moving and listening to stuff meant that I was multitasking. The blog was doing really well. And so at that point, I was kind of like, right, I'd got into a real pattern. I was getting up very early, walking in the morning before work, working, doing the blog. And so my life was suddenly really full. Like I couldn't really see how alcohol would fit in it. But also because I was listening to so much stuff, you know, I listened to all of the Quitlet books and then you're, you're kind of like, I think we're being duped here. Like, this is just not, just doesn't feel right. Um, and one of the books that I listened to was Alcohol Explained. Um, I know I have quite a close relationship with the, the author of Alcohol Explained. We work together. And whilst that wasn't my normal style of book, learning exactly what alcohol did was suddenly it was just like oh my god actually this stuff is poisoning me so my whole attitude rather than I'm going to go back to something and stand there with my trophy at the end of the year and go yeah it just seemed like a bit of a ridiculous thing to do you know mm, wow. um, and and I guess these books make you realize there's a life out there beyond just struggling not to drink um and also I listen to some really um I listen to some really hard stories as well and I always remember this guy who was doing lots of drugs uh, was physically addicted to alcohol um and to the point that he drank he he used to take beers to bed to wake up in the middle of the night to drink the beers mm -hmm. and he accidentally drank all the beers in the night so when he woke up he had nothing and he ended up drinking aftershave. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, like, that's how you end up if you carry on. If you so actually, at that point, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was really sobering because I was like, uh, and I can tell you exactly where I was when I heard that story. Wow. And I just remember thinking, this is a bigger problem than I, I thought it was. I thought I was just having a year of alcohol, but actually... I'm avoiding getting to a situation where I'm drinking in the night to feel okay and then drinking perfume or aftershave mm -hmm. because there's nothing else around. It was just like, no, I, I, I don't want to go back to that. You don't want to go out like that either. No. Wow. And so with everything moving forward and you're like, I'm not doing that. So you stopped in 2016, right? Your last drink was what day? Then? 27th of November. Mm -hmm. So fast forward now. Um, <clears throat> well, let me ask you this. As you proceeded to, to move forward, I mean, most people will have cravings, you know, like, oh, shit, that would be really nice with the steak or, you know, maybe the cravings of cigarettes are stronger. I don't know. So even though you moved this far, got through so many obstacles, how did you manage some of the temptation to want to use? I must admit, I, I didn't really crave as, as much as some people do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think because I immersed myself in it and heard of all these things. So when my friend died in the May, 
-hmm. that was a big test right because it's like you know and I was really upset Mm -hmm. and I was like how am I going to get through this I basically just ate my way through it um which was fine because I was just like I I, if that's what I've got to do that's what I've got to do Mm-hmm. But I, but it was also a lesson. It's like if you can get through something like that, you know. And we went to the funeral and the wake, and and so I think that was quite poignant at six months because it's like, right, you've done a hard thing. You can do that. Plus, also, I'd done my first Christmas within the first month, um, which is obviously a big thing. And it wasn't easy, you know. Mm-hmm. I I never lie to people and say, oh. It was like such a, it wasn't, it was absolutely awful, mm-hmm. you know, because you realize that alcohol's in everything. You realize that the whole Christmas celebration is all about alcohol. It's like, get up in the morning, Bucks Fizz. What are you having at 11 o'clock? What are you having with Christmas dinner? What are you having right. in the evening? What are you, where are you going Christmas Eve? You know, just, but when I got to the second Christmas, because I'd already done the first one. Right, right. And then I'd had a year in between. It was easier because you knew what to expect but you knew what to expect with experience so yeah it was it was better so that was good um I did my first sober holiday I think in the July of 2017 so I was about eight months sober and I was really into my walking then Mm -hmm. and I went on a holiday back to somewhere that I'd been drinking a lot over 20 years the same place with friends so that was, you know, again, it's just changing how the holiday looks. Right, right. So I was getting up, walking on my own, watching the sunrise, coming back, having a shower. My friends were then having breakfast, like, God, you're awake and you look great. And you've been out for two hours walking on your own. Um, and so it was just changing the whole way the holiday looked. And I was a lot more fun, not hungover. and. Yeah, I just felt great. And I remember um, just thinking, oh, my God, I just wasted all those years feeling Mm. shit on this holiday at this Mm -hmm. place. And actually, there was just such a different way to do it and still have a really nice time. Wow, that just sounds like so much freedom that you just gave yourself, right? I mean, that's a really beautiful way to talk about behavior change and rituals. I was just talking to a few people yesterday about... You know, it's it's not just about doing what you love to do without alcohol, because a lot of the things we'd love to do was around alcohol, right? So you have to change some rituals. And what you did, it sounds beautiful. It's like going to the same place. It's almost like going to the crime scene, right? Where yeah. <laughs> all this shit happened and you're like, oh my God. And it could be very triggering for some folks, right? So you go there, but you change rituals which then created new memories from an old memory. To, it's kind of like reuse, you know, you recycle that memory to something better. Yeah, yeah. Um, or a memory that you can actually remember now. Yeah. So I, I talk a little bit more about that because it is, it's one thing to not do it. It's another thing to change people, places, and things and still have a good time. I think a lot of people, just like you said, at the beginning, it's shit. It is super hard. You know, there's a loss, you're grieving your old life, figuring out who you are now in this new body, in this new mentality, which is all very exciting too, but probably terrifying because now this new version of you is figuring out what it's like. And so you did a holiday last year, that one July, and then you got to do it differently. Um, Was that something that you continued to discover as different rituals that were normally associated with alcohol? that you actually just shifted that all around. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Christmas is a, is a great example mm-hmm. because my old Christmas would be Christmas Eve going to the pub with every intention of just going for a couple mm-hmm. and then getting there, having a couple, leaving the car or didn't take the car in the first place and then, oh, I'll just have another one, just have another one. 11 o'clock comes, absolutely wasted. Know that Christmas Day is a mess. You know, just even talking about it, it's just like I just did the same thing every single time, you know, and that's what I say to people. You you can't, you know, if you're going to keep doing the madness, you can't expect a different outcome. The outcome is going to be the same. Right. And so the next year, 
Yeah, the next year I offered to, to make a dessert for Christmas Day, which we've never done before. My mum always makes everything, but I was intent on on making this um, this Christmas dessert, and so that's become a thing. So on Christmas Eve, that's what I spend time doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not so much now, but like in the early days, because it would keep me busy when I knew that other people were were going to the pub. Um, now I just love being in Christmas Eve. I love uh, I, I love being in, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But also on Christmas Day, you know, being hungover and gearing up to the big event took so much energy as well. Whereas it's just really nice to be like, I'm really hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, bring the food in. <laughs> rather than like oh my god I don't know how I'm going to keep it down or I'm just not hungry at all I just don't fancy it I just don't want to socialize all things like that so I I mean Christmas is nailed for me now it's just it's just a, a different you know it's all about the food um with regard to holidays I think holidays are a big one because I was always the type of person didn't matter what time it was straight to the bar large glass of wine another glass of wine probably with breakfast which now just makes me go oh god Mm. um but what I do at airports now is I I go for a proper meal I travel on my own generally Mm. and I have a really nice restaurant meal and I make it a part of it and I buy some nice perfume or I you know just buy I buy some nice things that I would have spent money on alcohol um and I then realised I really suffered with jet lag. So when I fly long haul, I just always feel great now that I'm not poisoning myself in the sky, mm-hmm. you know? So you get somewhere, yeah, you're tired, but you're not, like, dead. Right. You're right. just a bit tired. <laughs> and you'll bounce back because of all these other things that you've been doing and accumulate in terms of wellness and health, right? Yeah. Because it really started out for you just to stop smoking. Yeah. Right. And, and that, to lose weight. And to lose weight. Was the smoking harder, do you think, or just kind of the same? Because I quit smoking and I found that harder hard, but I just. I, I can't really remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember at the beginning because everything was so focused on alcohol. And because right. I was writing about alcohol, I can't really remember. But weirdly, if a stressful situation happens, I will still think now. Oh, maybe I should just have a cigarette. I I never think I I'll just have a drink. Mm-hmm. I always go for the cigarette option, which I just find really really bizarre because I know it would taste like shit. I don't want it. I don't want that in my life. And the the thing is, the thing that I know about smoking, I know drinking's the same, but we're not. You know, I'm never going to mm-hmm. go there. But with smoking, I know if I had one within a week, I'd be back on twenty. So it's just a no. I just, I can't, it's not an option for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I just do other things to to relieve the stress. Well, I think that goes beautifully to the next question. Um, that's really, tell me kind of your way of just staying sober. Um, it sounds like the cravings are not really there for you after so much time has has passed. But is there more work that you do to help you stay in that sober mindset and literally not drinking? I mean, I talk about sobriety all day. Yes, <laughs> so that do. helps. Uh-huh, right? <laughs> and there's accountability there. <laughs> there's accountability. I mean, accountability very quickly became the tool for me that you know because it started with being accountable this is what I'm going to do then it continued with this is what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and sharing it with lots of people and that's never changed so you know I write or post on my pages every single day it's part of my you know I wake up I know that's something that I've got to do and I do it for other people but I also do it for myself because if I don't I just feel a bit weird um yeah and and the community, you know, I've got my own community, but the whole, the wider, you know, you know what it's like on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's a really lovely community to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always said, you know, I, I mean, I've got, you can see my tattoo. Yeah, I've got a tattoo, you know, yeah. and that's never going to change. It's a sober tattoo. So I, 
I've just basically taken alcohol off of my menu. It's just it's something that is not good for my life and and it's not it's not an option for me. Um and I I guess when you're talking to other people and working with people who are at the beginning, right. you remember that that's a place that you don't want to revisit. When you when you fought so hard to get out of something, mm-hmm. why would you go back? Right. And there's so much more, right? So let, let's talk about Soberfish. Where did that come from? And, <laughs> and what do you do now? And, and all of this kind of stuff and how it impacts your sobriety. And you mentioned a little bit, it keeps you accountable for sure. Um, so Soberfish, so the, the blog was originally called the, um, Sober for 2017. And um, in May... Uh, 2017 so I was six months sober I'd already decided at that point I wasn't going to drink alcohol again mm-hmm. so it felt really misaligned to be calling it for 2017 when I decided it was going to be forever and my nickname has always been fish uh, because of fish wife mm. because I had a big mouth wow. so it was just uh, it just mm-hmm. became sober fish but I'm not entirely sure where that came I don't really remember that whole process mm-hmm. um and I wasn't on Instagram originally it was always on Facebook and then that became quite big and then people say oh you need to be on Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. and I'm on TikTok but I just don't really know what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm kind of over there kind of right. popping um right. and and so that that started in December 2016 and it's carried on ever since, still going now. Um, in June 2019, so basically what happened was I was working full time, so Monday to Friday, <laughs> 9 till 5.30. So in order to fit everything in, I was having to get up at like 4.30 in the morning, <laughs> do the blog to about 6, then go out walking and listening to my podcasts and um, uh, coming home, showering, and then getting in the car and going to work in the old in the old world. Luckily, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But I was really, and then finish work at five thirty, drive home, have some dinner, and then do the blog again. And what I found was I just had no time, mm-hmm. you know. And I was always constantly like, "Well, you've got to go to bed at ten because you've got to get up at half four to fit everything in." And oh my god, when I look yeah. back at it, it was like a nightmare. So I had to work out some way of earning an income through Soberfish so that I could eventually give up the day job. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started a membership group, uh, which is called the Fish Followers Society, which is also Love known that. as FFS. So um, it always brings me great joy when people say things like, oh, I I don't know, I can't think how they say it now, but they'll say, I've joined your group. And I say, FFS. <laughs> and and or or people will will say, say FFS and just automatically assume it means what we all know it to mean. <laughs> so I always just get a bit right. of joy out of it. Anyway, that started in June 2019. And then my business partner contacted me in November 2019 and said, Did we want to do, did I want to collaborate with her? And I said, Yeah, sure. And we set up sober challenges, which are at the moment they're twenty five days, and um, and basically people join them and hopefully stay sober for twenty five days. And then you have the option to join another one and join another one. <laughs> and we started in January twenty twenty, and we started with a hundred day challenge, and we had I think thirty odd people on this hundred day challenge, and then the world went to shit in March bang in the middle of this challenge so it was kind of like we had all these people who were sober but then suddenly when the world changed you know people were drinking and Mm -hmm. dropping off and so we kind of learned a lot in our first challenge and we learned that 100 days is a long time um too long for us for them that smaller challenges bite-sized chunks are better and our success rate is really high because right. they're smaller groups and people, you know, we know when people aren't there and when they're mm-hmm. doing different things. Um, and so we've been doing that ever since. And then um, in the last six months, I've just trained to be a coach. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not specifically a sabre coach. I'm coaching in anything, but the I went into it to be a sabre coach, but actually I enjoy doing all different types of subjects. Mm-hmm. So it's just crazy when I look back and just think, you know, this started off as I just need to sort my life out uh-huh. somehow. Because now it's my full-time job. Is this your purpose? Does this feel like your purpose and your mission? Perfect. Your purpose. Oh, like purpose. Your purpose and your mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I often think, what if I hadn't had that thought? Mm-hmm. Where would other people be? You know, there's some people who I, I've worked with from the beginning who are still sober, you know, say to me, you've changed my life. And it's like, mm-hmm. so even if it's just that one person, it's like it's massive, isn't it? Well, you have like thousands and thousands and thousands of followers, <laughs> which is really amazing. But yeah, don't freak me out. <laughs> no, right. I won't do that. But it started, you know, humble beginnings, just like I want to just share my story. And, and realizing you're not alone and knowing with all your research, you're like, holy shit, this is a thing. People really do suffer from this stuff and it's not just me and to what degree. And doing all of this, I mean, you do this every day, but I'll ask it anyhow. If someone is contemplating, you know, they're like, well, you know, Soberfish did it for a year. That, to, to your point, that is way too fucking long. I can't. Even I just want to try it for a week and and see what would you tell them if they're contemplating? Do it. Okay. Do it. What if that? What if I don't? What if I can't? But what if you can? I think it's very much changing the narrative. You know, I didn't think I could, but I have. No one thinks they can. You know. A world without alcohol, you will never drink alcohol again. You just wouldn't even go there, would you? You know, it's too, it's just too, it's too big Haunting. to think of. Right. Um, we're, with our 25 day challenges, you know, mm-hmm. on the first one, we just say to them, just don't drink. That's all you need to worry about. You don't worry about anything else. You just keep eating, mm-hmm. keep eating, eat all the chocolate, eat all the ice cream, do whatever you've got to do. Just don't drink. Then the next 25 days, it's like, okay, so now you're feeling a bit better about yourself because we watch people light up. We watch people in the dark okay. and then we watch them, we watch them come alive. And, and, you know, and I say to them, look at the growth. If I'd said to you on day one, now you've got to think about the relationship with your partner. You'd be like, Meh, I can't do that. But a hundred days in, it's like, right, okay, now you can start looking at the other stuff, you know, just thinking about it. You don't have to do anything about it right now, but you can start thinking about it. And it's my lesson to myself was um, I always did everything at the same time, always mm-hmm. weight loss, smoking, drinking, every January, gave oh, it, you know, not doing any of that. I was miserable, you know, clinging on for the 1st of February. Oh, my God, on the 1st of February, I'm going to drink myself stupid, smoke myself stupid, eat mm-hmm. myself stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the point in that? Whereas what I learned this time, just don't drink and smoke. Okay, I did it at the same time, but they went hand in hand for me. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, uh, you know, it it had to go together. But I didn't start losing weight until I was six weeks sober. Mm-hmm. And I ate everything in the first six weeks. You know, and I worried about it when I was a bit stronger. And it's mm-hmm. it's about the house of cards. It's about building the solid foundations and expecting your, you know, if you don't do that and expecting your house of cards to stand up, it's not going to happen. You have mm-hmm. to slowly, slowly, one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And so they all take it literally because I say to them, just eat what you like. <laughs> and they're like, mm-hmm. okay. You gave him permission, right? The permission yeah. seems to be. But it works. Big. But it works. The people who go on diets at the same time as trying to get sober, it doesn't work because you feel deprived. You think life is shit. You're like, Absolutely. what's the point? You know, I can't even. And it's like, just one thing at a time. You can't drink, but you can eat all that chocolate. Just eat all that chocolate. It's fine mm. for now. Binge all that TV. Who cares? Yeah. Drink all that soda. Who gives a shit? You know, yeah. 
if you're thirsty, pick up that terrible, terrible soda, do it, you know, but I think that's very realistic and it's step-based and it's small, small steps that are realistic for big change, right? And well, it, and it all leads on, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing. For me, it was like change the, stop the drinking, stop the smoking, then change the feed, which then gives you the energy mm-hmm. that makes you get up in the morning, makes you go out for a walk, makes you listen to something because you're out listening, you know, mm-hmm. you're out walking. So you listen to something, pick up a piece of information, take that forward. So it, it's like a, I don't know what the word is, like a chain of events, isn't it? Right. Right. But but it, but if you if you said on day one, get up, walk eight miles, listen to a podcast about recovery, God, you'd probably come home and just be like, well, this is not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just not doing it. Too overwhelmed, yeah. right? Yeah. So one small thing, right? One step, right? Just don't drink today in this moment. God knows what happens tomorrow, but if you could do it today, and then eat all you want. I love that. It's so it's a more realistic, not as daunting, and you know, I, I'm wondering with all of this stuff, all your followers and you're going to get clients and coaching, what is next for you? You mentioned you like traveling, you know, you do, you're going to Dublin and Italy, right? This coming year. What else do you do for fun and what else was next for Soberfish? So I'm 50 next year. October. Okay. October. My plan has always been to um hopefully be i will be i will be somewhere hot i don't know what that looks like yet um but that that's always been my plan um i still work part-time for my employer mm-hmm. um and, and my plan has always been to be totally self-employed but i just can't quite let it go mm-hmm. um and and that's fine so i don't know how that's going to look um and with regard to fun, I, I love traveling and I felt very trapped during COVID. Yeah. So I like going to places mm-hmm. and exploring and walking and, you know, just, yeah, just being free to do what I want to do when I want to do it, really. <laughs> I think that's great. If there was one thing that you would say after meeting with hundreds of people and, and supporting them on their journey, what what things do they, what do you think would be great to have for fun, whether it's like a non-alcoholic bar or, you know, what, what fun places can people go to that you think is missing? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure about the bar side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an alcohol-free bar open here and unfortunately it it didn't really... Um, take off and I think part of that problem is like me the staying in you know it's it's the the evening activities of a sober person Mm -hmm. (laughs) are not quite the same you know we're we're daytime people these days um we I don't know what it's like where you are but we have a lot of about you know I'm going to Dublin because I've organized an event Mm -hmm. so I organize um really nice lunches um in nice places for people and you know just getting people together I do think it's more of the social side of things but within daylight hours mm-hmm. that people enjoy um I've always thought about because we've got such a lovely beach here I've always thought about doing walk and talks like along the beach oh, nice. uh-huh. and I'm kind of thinking how do I bring the coaching into that can I do like a coaching group or something like that but because I'm I'm literally on the verge of qualifying um, mm-hmm. with the coaching, so it, it's been a really hard six months work-wise. So just, yeah, the ideas are coming. So, yeah, it's yes. going to be an exciting year. I, I kind of know, I know on my 50th birthday I will be somewhere else, but no idea where that is right now. That's so exciting just to kind of know. And you've been, you probably wouldn't even thought this could have happened back in 2016. No. And so no. you're proof that, you know, baby steps, staying determined, staying accountable, being honest with yourself um, and do things that are, you know, realistic. You don't have to do everything all at once, especially if people are super driven, perfectionistic, want to please, 
all that kind of stuff. So it, it's yeah. good to keep things as simple as possible. Um, so I found you. Well, where can people find you? And if they want coaching from you, what do they do? Um, so they can find me on Facebook is The Sober Fish Story. Uh, on Instagram is Sober Fishy. I think I'm on Twitter as Sober Fishy as well. Um, that's I-E at the end. Um, www.soberfish.co.uk. And um, if they would like coaching, they can message me. Mm-hmm. Um, or on my Instagram, there is a Calendly link and you can book a discovery call. And you are very responsive, so I appreciate that. So um, one more question. There is this, you know, Sober Curious has been around for a bit since 2012, and you're kind of in the beginning stages of that idea. What do you, and there's a huge movement now that's actually impacting the beverage and alcohol industry in the United States anyway. It's, it's like $365 million industry, which is increasing more, which is low to no alcohol beverages. I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts about the Sober Curious kind of movement now? Well, I've watched it grow like beyond comprehension. So um, I always describe it as like the snowball and it just gathers pace. I mean, it's a relatively short space of time, six years to go Mm -hmm. from a couple of quit lit books a couple of podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, there weren't that many, there was like two or three to listen to. And now there's like a whole range, um, communities, you know, I was one of the first membership groups. Now everybody's got their own group. Right. So, you know, if it carries on at the rate that it's going on now, we're going to take over the world, <laughs> you know, we are going to take over. <laughs> the world. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's great because not it's, it's not like people haven't tried to be sober for years, you know, in the shadows. Um, and that's the reason I do this is just to put spotlight that people aren't alone, that people are doing amazing work, such as yourself, you know, just helping people normalize what has often felt abnormal. And, mm. and you know, the stigma is very, very real. And so it's great to know that there are people like you in the world kind of demystifying what sober means and what you can get and that it's possible and you don't have to do this in the dark and you don't have to do it in traditional ways whether you know AA or or <clears throat> treatment there's so many alternatives now and because drinking is a spectrum you know there's some gray and you're not always an addict or addicted but there is abuse right you can abuse anything that's good or bad um, and then how do you heal and how do you stay safe? So I think it's great. And, and hopefully you will take charge on seeing how this world changes. But um, <laughs> any last thoughts? So I, again, appreciate you being on podcast because it's been a long time since you've done it. But I mean, imagine this will be moving up more and more often for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, I guess the, the only thing that I was going to say with what you've just said just then is, you know, um, somebody, William Porter, who writes Alcohol Explained, always describes sobriety as a buffet. You mm-hmm. know, there's all these lovely things on display. Just take what you need and leave the rest. I love that because you can go to AA, but be in my community, or you can go to Smart Recovery and do AA. You know, you can do anything that keeps you sober. Um, and I think the other thing, that I try and get across is, you know, if you want to stay long-term sober, you it's not just about the drink in your glass. Right. You know, you have to do the work to stay mm-hmm. successfully sober. And that can sound scary to people, but actually that's the thing that gets you the freedom mm-hmm. because once you've done enough work and put down the glass as well, you know, I, I'm free. I'm, I'm totally free. And, and, and to get to that point is what I'm trying to get everybody to, because once you get to that point, you understand that you don't need a substance to change the way that you feel. It's about creating a life that you don't want to escape from. I don't know who said that. 
somebody way back in my early early days but but that's what it is about is creating this life that you don't need to go onto another planet to get away from and once you've got that that's ultimate freedom in my opinion i think that's lovely i can't add any more to that and again <laughs> just really appreciate you being here thank you so much for your time it's been great thank, thank you. you so much Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Maylee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.